Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how the phrase in the beginning tells us that there's an end to our stay on earth and the importance of preparing for our future destination. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. Now, if you enjoy Tom Cantor and his Old Testament teaching from Genesis, as well as other parts of the Old Testament that he brings to life and parallels with the New Testament, if you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program, we can set you up for a reoccurring donation to help continue this program staying on your station. So you can be set up for a monthly donation or a one-time donation by calling us at 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program, 800-247-3051. And we can set you up to be a supporter of the Friendship with God radio program every month or again as a one-time donor. So call us at 800 800- 247-3051. Now you can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the donate button right at the homepage, friendshipwithgod.org. Again, friendshipwithgod.org or 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us how the phrase in the beginning tells us that there's an end to our stay on earth and the importance of preparing for our future destination. The Bible says the default is hell. That's the default. But God says, we can change all that. We can make that all different. We can change the destiny. We can change the default setting on you from hell to heaven. And he made it so simple. And turn, if you would, to Isaiah 53, verse 10. Because it's so simple. God made it so simple. How do I do that? From this verse in Isaiah 53, 10, there are three points There are three spiritual laws here. It's even simpler than the four spiritual laws. There's only three. First is that you see where it says there, Isaiah 53, 10. Please the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Now here's the phrase. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So the first spiritual law is the word when. When. That means there is a specific time. That means that the when time is very, very important. When should a person do this? Well, God says in a few chapters before, in Isaiah 49, 8, he says, in an acceptable time, an acceptable time, and that, that also could be translated now. Now, that's what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. In an acceptable time have I heard thee in the day of salvation. Paul says, now is the accepted time. Now, behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. So the word when, the word now, is very, very important. That's why God is asking everyone the question, every, every lost person, and we should be asking that question too, is that when will you do this? Will you do it? Yes, no. Will you do it today? Yes, no. Will you do it now? That's God's question. Yes, no. That's God's question. So that's the first spiritual law, the when. There is a when. It's not automatic. I'm not born a Catholic, so I go to heaven. I'm not born a Jew, so I go to heaven. I'm not christened. Christened? I don't know. Sprinkle water when you're young, so I go to... No, that's nothing. That's not automatic. This is not automatic. There is a when in everyone's life. The next statement, the next spiritual laws, the next three words, thou shalt make. That means it's an act that every person does. God will not do this for you. God has a contract of life, 
And he passes it, as we've said, to every man. And as Tim said last week, God does not sign for anyone. Everyone must sign for themselves. God does not determine who's going to sign that contract. That's to the choice of man. But he knows everything, so he knows who's going to sign it. But he says, thou shalt make, thou shalt make. And then the next six words, his soul, an offering for sin. First, we all need an offering for sin. Why? Because King Solomon, he taught us, along with his father David, but when King Solomon dedicated the temple, he said in, in 1 Kings 8.46, when he was talking about the, what would happen if the people prayed toward this temple that God should forgive them, and then he said, if they sin against thee, and then he said, there's no man that sinneth not, for there is no man that sinneth not. So uh, everyone, we all need that. That's, what, that's the basis. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Passover time, each family had to get a lamb. No lamb, no Passover. No lamb, no life. No lamb, no mercy. Everybody had to go get the lamb. So picture a person approaching the temple of God and he's got no offering and he needs an offering and God steps in and he says, I'll give you your offering. I'll give it to you. I'll give you a gift. It's a, what is the gift? My only son is going to be your offering. Take him. Take, make that, make his soul your offering, an offering for sin. Make the lamb of God your lamb. Make the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ your sacrifice for sin. Make the Savior your Savior. Make God, or the Lord Jesus Christ, your God, or your Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, whatever you've got in your hand, drop it. Drop everything that you would come to God with in your hand, and just say, like the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That's it. That's it. Three spiritual laws. God has made it so simple, so very simple. When should this be done? Now. Who should do this? You should. Thou shalt make. What do I do? What must I do to be saved? What do I do? Make his soul an offering for sin. And then God promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, from Joel 2.32, shall be delivered. Or as Paul put it, shall be saved. Turn, if you would, also to, um, to Deuteronomy 5.29. Deuteronomy 5.29, as we continue now. And ask the question, you know, many people might, might say, yeah, that's good for Christians, but I'm not a Christian. And, and I don't know if God... You know, God encourages every lost person to come. He wants everyone to be saved, as we saw last week. He will have all men to be saved. He's not willing that any should slip through the cracks, any should perish. Okay, so in Roman, I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 5.29, it says this. Oh, that's the new Yiddish standard version again. Oi, he says, oh, the pain of it all. Oh, he yearns, oh, the grief, oh, oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me. Keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children for this life. That's not what it says. 
It says, forever. Just like David said in Psalm 23, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. God, can you, have you ever thought of this? God wants everyone to have a good forever. He wants that. He's standing on the sidelines of the race of our life, cheering for us. He wants us to have a good forever. That's what he wants. And so, he, so he's saying, I'll do everything. What do I need to do? God says, what do I need to do to make this more simple for you, to help you along the way? What warnings, what further warnings do I need to place in the path so that you don't continue on the broad road? What, 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 what green lights, what people do I need to bring into your life to encourage you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Because God wants everyone to be saved. But now when we thought, so that's for the lost. That's for the lost. In the beginning, a holy anxiety of, of, uh, of uh, there's going to be an end, and what is my latter end, and, and uh, <clears throat> turn to the Lord and be saved. But the, but the now that's for the lost. But I, I, I'm not looking at you and saying, well, you're all lost. I'm not saying, I know, we're saved. Many of most, I don't know, God knows. Anyway, so the phrase, in the beginning, should also bring to the saved a kind of holy anxiety as well. Why? Well, turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And follow along here very carefully. So read these words. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly. And write down 50. And he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures a week. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. First of all, <clears throat> according to verse 1, who is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to? Who is he speaking this parable to? His disciples. Uh, color them like us. Okay? His disciples. He's not addressing the lost. He's addressing his disciples. This is a true account. It's not a story. It's a true account that the Lord Jesus Christ is telling. And it's an account about a rich man and a steward. What's a, what's a, we don't say steward today. What would we use? Manager. manager. It's a manager. Okay, so the rich man is so rich that he needs an investment manager for his wealth. We should have such a problem. Anyway, so he's got, maybe, I don't, we don't know what his, what his wealth is. Maybe there are lots of parcels of land, and he's got this, this manager, a land manager, and he sublets out the parcel. We don't know. But it looks like the rich man is very far from being a micromanager. The rich man's not a micromanager. In fact, he's a very trusting boss, and he just seems to know nothing about any of the details. But the rich man seems to have gotten a lot of reports a lot of bad reports about his manager. And the reports are basically that he's doing a bad job, he's wasting your wealth. So from verse 3, the, and also 
it's probably not far from the truth because in verse 3, when the, when, the, when the manager is sitting there considering, let's see, what am I going to do? Should I become a hard worker? Oh, I can't do that. So he doesn't seem to be a hard worker. He seems lazy. But anyway, when he, so get a job? No, no, that's out of the question. He says, I cannot dig. Uh, he says, I can't work. Anyway, what the investments were that he had to manage and how he was wasting, it's not important to the point of the, the, the account. The rich man has just become convinced that he's got to fire his manager. He needs to fire him, but he wants to find out first a little damage assessment, you know, how much damage has been done. So he's, he's calling him in to, to, to say, all right, maybe it's his last chance. Maybe he's going to change his mind if the rich man sees, oh, I was really wrong. He's really done a great job. So he, he says to him, bring all the, the details, bring the, the contracts or the scrolls or whatever they had in those days and lay them all out so I can see what's been going on here. And uh, so I see if it's true or false. Every detail. Now, uh, for the first time, it looks like, the manager is going to have to sit down and, and produce the details of what he's done. He's going to have to do that. And, and so the manager has a chance to justify himself and keep his job. Uh, but, but the manager seems to, be, seems to know that he's guilty because he's not thinking about justifying himself. He says in, in verse, it, it, well, first of all, the Lord calls him an unjust steward. But he, he's, he says, well, when I am going to lose my job with him, what am I going to do? So, but he's shaken in verse 3, the manager. He's almost stuttering in fear when he blurts out these, sh- these short sentences. What shall I do? My Lord taketh away from me my stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg, I'm ashamed. So he's really shaken in his core the thought of him having to give an account of how he's managed. has been like an earthquake that's gone off in him. He was terrified. He realizes it's coming. And, and, and he's gonna, he can't give a good account. And he knows when his boss sees the detail, there's going to be no second chance with all this. He, he, he's, he's finished. He knows all this. He sees all his goose is cooked. And he knows that. And he knows that so much. He says, when I am put out of the stewardship, the reality has hit him like a ton of bricks. It's hit him hard. And his burning question in verse 3 is, what shall I do? You feel that? Can you feel that anxiety? I don't know. He's about to be fired. He won't get a good job reference from this boss. You ever been shaken like that? You're all good people. I have. <clears throat> and you're going to have to defend yourself. The adrenaline's running. The creative juices are flowing. What's my next move? And in verse 4, he says, Oh, Eureka, I got it. I got it. I am resolved what to do. That when I am, not if I am, but when I am put out of my stewardship, they receive me into their houses. And so verses 5 through 7 is the implementation of his plan, his great plan. And so he calls everyone, it says, of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto them, how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly. That's a very important word. Sit down quickly and write 50 and so forth. Look what the Lord Jesus Christ said about what happened in verse 8. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world and their generation wiser than the children of light. This is an unjust steward. He was a no-good, dishonest crook. That's what he was. He was a thief. 
He was a scoundrel. He's a criminal. And the Lord, is the Lord commending a crooked thief? Is that what's going on here? Is he, is he, is he saying, that, let's think about that a little bit. He wasn't condoning the crook. What was he doing? He said he had done wisely. Let's say it was good and fair and honest. He'd done wisely. And the Lord said, he, he said, he did something, speaking to his disciples, that the children of light need to learn. So there's a real lesson of what he did. Now, what did he do that was so wise? And how is that a lesson for the children of light? What would you say? What did he do that was so good? What did this no good, rotten, dishonest, crook thief do that was wise? He did two important things. First, he took very seriously, verse 2, Thou mayest be no longer steward or manager. He thought about those words, thou mayest be no longer steward, and he let that statement rock his soul. He let those words sink deep into him. And he thought, what are the implications for me not being a steward anymore? That was the first thing he did. And the second thing he did was he sprung into action. I'm not saying it's good he was a thief. It wasn't right for the manager. That's not the point. The point is he sprung into action. There was a whirlwind of activity. He calls everyone in. He has these personal interviews. He says, quickly write this down and reduce it quickly. He was, the Lord was not condoning, but he was saying there's two things that he did that the children of light need to take to heart. And that is, he knew and took seriously the statement, thou mayest be no longer steward. It's not because we're unjust or or because our lives are bad, but the reality is our lives, because of age, because of health, they've got a limit. And the age and the health are going to take its toll and to the point where we, each one of us, are going to hear Thou mayest be no longer steward. That's going to happen to each one of us. So Don's up there teaching right now. Someday, his age and health is going to get to a point where he can't walk up those steps anymore. It, it's going to happen. It may happen. Oh, maybe with John it won't happen, but it might happen. And at that time, then God's going to say to him, Don, thou mayest be no longer steward. You can no longer teach these, pe- these kids because you can't walk up steps or whatever it is. And last week, I told you about my neighbor, Larry Rust. I told you that when I heard the same story that I used to tell, told that it just broke me and started crying. And why? Because I realized that God was saying to me, thou mayest be no longer steward of carrying the gospel to Larry Rust because he's, he's gone. And you have neighbors And they're lost. And you have a stewardship from God to carry the gospel to them. You are a manager of God's wealth, the gospel. And when they are no longer your neighbors for whatever reason, then God says to you, thou mayest be no longer steward of my gospel to your neighbors. Now, I told you about my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin. When he was 12 years old, strong believer, and in the Mother Teresa Hospital in Addis Ababa, he had um, osteosarcoma, bone cancer, very serious, most of the time fatal. 
and his oncologist, Rick Hodes, Jewish oncologist in Ethiopia, asked Temeskin when he was 12 years old, Temeskin, are you afraid to die? Can you imagine a question like that to a 12-year-old kid who has cancer? And Temeskin looked at Dr. Rick and said, no, everyone's going to die. It doesn't matter when you die. It matters what you do before you die. Oh, those are words of wisdom. And he lived his life telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember when, <clears throat> when we were together in D.C., and he brought his friend, uh, Semenyu, Muslim boy, 13 years old, Ethiopian, who had a deformed spine because of tuberculosis. And he couldn't understand how God loved him. Semenyu couldn't. So we went to John 9 about the man born blind. Light went off for him. And then Semenyu, uh, a former Muslim, became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he was a faithful steward over the gospel to bring it to his friend. But when he was 15, in Georgetown University Pediatric Oncology Ward, he heard God say to him, Temeskin, thou mayest be no longer steward of what I gave you to be responsible on earth. And he went home. And that's what happened. On December 9th, 2010, I was laying in a bed and in, in, uh, in the hallway of radiation over at Grossmont Hospital, laying there, and the doctor walked by, and I said to him, what is, the biopsy had been done, what is it, what is it? He said, it's cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I thought about that as they were wheeling me back up to the, to the room, and this verse came to mind, thou mayest be no longer steward. And I realized that when that time does come, and praise God, he gave me remission. But when that time, you know, we all have remission. Do you realize that? We're all in remission. We have a, anyway, there is no cure for death, uh, physical death. Anyway, I realized at that time, when we all hear that, vo- the, that, that word, all of our plans, they're not going to matter. All that we intended to do, it's not going to matter. It's like Temeskin said, it's only going to matter what we got done. We're not going to sit down with the Lord and say, oh, let me get out my planning book. Let me show you what I wanted to do. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. On Tuesday, we're going to go to Miramar Cemetery and bury the body of our beloved Pastor Jim, pastor of this church for over 60 years. And he was a faithful servant of God. But for all God committed to him, all his responsibilities, there was a day when God said to him, thou mayest no longer be steward pastor of this church, over the Jews in San Diego, over the loss that he did. But he was a good steward. And in Matthew 25, 23, he's going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Why? Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So it's a lesson for us also this in the beginning of Genesis 1, to remember we also are going to have an end, so to speak, of life on earth, when we'll each hear, thou mayest be no longer steward. Let's resolve that when we read these words in the beginning, that it triggers our thoughts to go back to, we will hear, not because of something wrong we've done, not because we're unjust, but we will hear because of life's course, Those words from the Lord, 
thou mayest be no longer steward. So let's resolve to take those words seriously, like the unjust steward did, and do something quickly, spring into action, so that we can say to the Lord, I knew that, it took it to heart, and I did for you, and here's the talents that I gained with what you gave me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you're for us, you're not against us, that you want to help us, you don't want to hinder us, that you want us to have a good end, not a bad end. And Lord, that's just you. And so we pray, Lord, that we would believe that, that you're a good God. We would believe that you want us to have a good end, and we would let you help us, Lord, to do that. Each one of us this morning, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Don't forget that you can sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse at friendshipwithgod.org. Again, sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that will come to your email or phone at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor's materials, written, and DVDs available at friendshipwithgod.org at our online bookstore, including our resource of the month that's available, Genesis 1-4, through 48 messages on 16 DVDs, all yours for a donation of $100 or more in supporting this radio program. So again, you can call and order it today at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Again, that's 800 247 3051, or you can order these 48 messages on 16 DVDs, Genesis 1 through 4, by going to friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore, friendshipwithgod.org, or 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week.